Good morning. As you can see on the screen, you know what the message is today with our famous people of the Bible. So you can take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you're in one of the red pew Bibles that are in the seats, this is on page 1039. If I mention the name Bernie Madoff, most of you will probably remember who he was and what he did. Bernie Madoff was arrested December the 11th of 2008, charged with operating a Ponzi scheme that is considered to be the largest financial fraud in American history. Prosecutors estimated the size of the fraud to be nearly $65 billion, including over 4,800 clients, which included some pretty famous people. People like Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Kevin Bacon, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Sandy Koufax, Larry King, just to name a few. The Eli Weissel Foundation for Humanity lost $15.2 million, and Weissel and his wife Miriam lost their entire life savings. On June the 29th of 2009, Bernie Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison. The criminal charges were securities fraud, investment advisor fraud, mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, false statements, perjury, making false filings with the SEC, and theft from an employee benefit plan. He was ordered to pay $17 billion in restitution. One of his sons, Mark, committed suicide. His wife, Ruth, divorced him. It's a horrible story. Bernie Madoff died this year in April. Well, what if I told you before he died that he got saved? What if I told you that he repented and returned to the Lord? What if I told you that he confessed to the feds that he had actually invested some of that money into legitimate stocks like Apple and Google and Yahoo and Netflix and he had deposited billions of dollars in offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands and that he negotiated with prosecutors to not only repay every investor but to pay them all the interest owed as well as a fee for all the grief and inconvenience he had caused and further that he had paid a $20 billion fine to the U.S. government. What would you say to that? Now that didn't happen. At least not that I know of. But the question comes up, what happens when people that are notorious for doing what's wrong suddenly do what's right? What happens? Do we still hold them in suspicion saying, yeah, but you remember when? And so once that kind of person, always that kind of person? Do, is, is that the way we look at them? What happens when somebody that's notorious for doing what's wrong suddenly does what's right. 
And I think that's a little bit of the setting here for this story about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. I think Zacchaeus might have been the Bernie Madoff of his day. I mean, stop and think about it. This man would have been filthy rich due to ripping off so many people. Everyone would have hated him, at least all the Jewish people for sure. No one wanted anything to do with him. But we pick up the narrative here in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The setting here for our text this morning is the ancient city of Jericho. First century Jewish historian Josephus described Jericho as the most fruitful region of Judea. It had a vast number of palm trees beside the balsam trees. They would take sharp stones and cut the sprouts of these trees. And at the incisions, they would gather the juice that would drop down like tears. Chuck Swindoll said, and I quote, Jericho's temperate climate made it an ideal retreat for royalty, who built enormous palaces complete with swimming pools, gardens, bathhouses, a hippodrome, and even a theater. The city also sat on one of the busiest trade routes in the ancient world, with connections to important coastal cities in northern Israel and with Egypt to the south. So with that kind of a place, and a place where a lot of, of royalty, politicians, if you want to call them that, would uh, live, whenever you find vast amounts of wealth and large numbers of politicians, you inevitably will find a funnel for taxes. And so a man in Jericho named Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector a Jewish man who would have worked for the Romans. So you can imagine how the Jews would have despised him. He's one of a handful of men that managed that tax funnel, which gave him immense power over the daily lives of ordinary citizens, as well as allowing him to enjoy direct access to power. He undoubtedly probably dined with some of those important people, with some of the royalty that lived in that city. He would enjoy direct access to, uh, to people of authority, Roman dignitaries on a regular basis. He, he would have enjoyed a lifestyle of what we would call the rich and famous. Few could have imagined it. And so we see this man Zacchaeus, maybe the Bernie Madoff of his day, who had cheated scores of people. But notice, first of all, that we find him seeking in verse 1. 
seeking. The Bible says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, the city of Jericho was also known as the city of palm trees. It's about six miles from the Jordan River. It lie about 18 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It was a prosperous center of commerce in its day, a military outpost close enough to Jerusalem that many times it would be the last stopping place for pilgrims making their pilgrimage down to the holy city. So Jesus is making his way through Jericho. He is followed by a crushing crowd of people. When this happens, he meets Zacchaeus. Verse 2 says he is a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I think that's an understatement. I believe he would have been incredibly, unbelievably rich. As a tax collector, a Roman collaborator, if you would, against his own people, he would have abused the power of his office, and he would exact higher taxes from the people than even Rome required. In fact, it was pretty common knowledge that most tax collectors would double the amount of the tax that Rome required. They would send the portion to Rome that was required and then pocket the rest of it. So he would have been enormously wealthy, but he also would have been enormously hated by his own people. But verse 3 says he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now don't miss that. Because even though he's rich beyond words, he knows something's missing. He could have bought anything that he would have wanted, but he couldn't purchase whatever it would take to fill that hole in his own heart. One commentator said, and I quote, Zacchaeus knew something was missing. Most folks do. They try to drown it in alcohol, lose it in a fog of drugs, bury it in the shallow grave of bravado and tough talk. But when it gets quiet, no one is around but you and God. The truth sounds as loud in your soul as the blast of a thousand trumpets, and you know you need something that you do not have. End of quote. There were two things that kept Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. First of all, he was horizontally challenged. All right. The Bible says on account of the crowd, there's so many people everywhere he looked, people everywhere that he couldn't get to Jesus. So here's Zacchaeus, and over there's Jesus, and in between it's just all these people, and he can't get to Jesus. But secondly, the Bible says he was vertically challenged because he was short, small in stature. If you grew up in church, you probably learned to sing that little song, right? Zacchaeus was a, yeah, and a wee little man was he. So he's a small man, a short man, which made it impossible for him to see over them or even to get through them. You know, the devil will always make sure there is someone or something to keep you from Jesus. But Zacchaeus didn't give up. He got up. He got up in a tree. Found a large tree, a sycamore fig tree, the Bible says, with branches that he could climb up in. And so we see him seeking because he wanted to see who Jesus was. But then secondly, we also see him sought. In verse 5, the Bible says, when Jesus reached the spot, <laughs> where's the spot where Jesus found you? Stop and think back on your life. 
Where is the spot, that point in your life where you realized, I've got, I've got to have Christ? Where's the spot where Jesus found you? You may call it the place where you found him, but in reality it's the place where he found you. John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So I, I hope you have a place where Jesus found you. If not, I hope this is the place. And I hope today is the day. But in verse 5, Jesus looked up in that sycamore tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, I can't prove this, all right, but, but my own personal belief, I believe that tree was probably quite large. I think it probably provided a lot of shade, and there were probably a lot of people underneath it. And yet Zacchaeus found a way to get up into that tree, and I think he's gone fairly high up into that tree because he wants to see Jesus pass by. I mean, if he's only on the first branch right close to the ground, why would Jesus have to look up and say, Zacchaeus, come down, hurry down. So I think he's up there a ways. And so Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, Jesus is surrounded by a crushing crowd of people. So when he stops, everybody stops, okay? And then the crowd is in shock when they heard Jesus address Zacchaeus. Most of them probably didn't even know Zacchaeus was around. Now, I think they would have known who he was, being the tax collector, but probably had no idea he was even present, especially not up in that tree. And they're stunned even more when Jesus says, I've got to stay at your house today. Now, you need to know that in that culture, that was an honorable thing to do. In our culture, it's not. Let me prove that to you. If someone comes up to you in the hallway on your way out of church or out here in the foyer and they say to you, <laughs> listen, I'm glad I saw you. My wife and I and our six kids are coming to your house today for lunch and we're hungry. And you're thinking, what? Well, they're not coming to our house. All right. No, we would think that would be a rude, presumptuous thing to do, but not in that culture. Okay? In their culture, that was an honor. A person would be honored for someone to come up to them and say, I'm coming to your house today. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house. And notice what verse 7 says. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Apparently, they followed Jesus to Zacchaeus' house. He's gone in to be with a sinner like they weren't. But. So you get the picture, right? They're following Jesus, but now they're finding fault with Jesus. They were outraged. I mean, what kind of a Messiah could this be that would actually invite himself into the home of a tax collector or of a Bernie Madoff, a publican, all right? If you look back at chapter 18, just a few, few verses earlier, Jesus is on his way into Jericho. There's a man there named Bartimaeus who is blind. He's crying out to Jesus to heal him, and the people tell him, you need to be quiet, you need to leave Jesus alone. Well, that made Bartimaeus yell even more. 
and Jesus heard him. And so the man comes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, Jesus, I want to see. And Jesus heals him. And he can see. And the Bible says, all the people were praising God for what Jesus has done. But now they've walked a few steps more. They're inside the city a few minutes more. And now they're finding fault with him. And once again, we're brought face to face with the fickleness and the foolishness of the hearts of men. Because they can turn on you quicker than you can take your next breath. So in verse 6, Zacchaeus, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I think Zacchaeus nearly jumped out of his skin when Jesus spoke to him, and I think he probably jumped out of the tree as well. Now it's quite a contrast between blind Bartimaeus in Luke 18, verses 35 through 42, and Zacchaeus here in our text this morning. One was on the way to Jericho, one was in Jericho. One was sitting in the dust by the roadside, the other is perched up in a tree. One was incredibly poor, the other was incredibly rich. One sought Jesus for mercy, the other just wanted to see who Jesus was. One had to get up to be saved, the other had to get down to be saved. Which tells us what? Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter who you are. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost heights of society as well as the uttermost depths of it, what people would think would be the uttermost depths. But you have to decide. So we see Zacchaeus seeking, wanted to see who Jesus was, and we see him sought. Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. But then we see him saved in verse 8. Nobody can invite Jesus into their life and not be changed. So Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now let's be clear. Zacchaeus was not saved because he gave. He gave because he was saved. You see, we're not saved by our good works. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, there's a lot of people in, who claim to be Christians today who think that their sole responsibility and the way to maintain their relationship with Christ is to come and sit in a place like this in a soft seat for 60 minutes one day a week and they're done. They've done their spiritual duty. Look at me, God. I'm here. I am given an hour of my time to sit here. And they think that's it. They have no idea they ought to be doing good works, that they were created in Christ Jesus for that. That they ought to be serving, they ought to be living their faith, they ought to be making a difference for Christ, they ought to be bringing people to Christ, they ought to be giving. Look, Zacchaeus was saved. That's why he gave. Now, Jewish law required a penalty of one-fifth as a restitution for money gained by fraud. You can read about that in Leviticus and the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Fourfold restitution was only required when an animal was stolen and killed. Exodus chapter 22. But if the animal was found, the restitution was only twofold. So this fourfold response was the penalty David 
had pronounced. Remember when Nathan the prophet went in and confronted David with his sin with Bathsheba, but he tells David that story about the rich man who stole the poor man's ewe lamb. And when David hears the story, you know, Nathan is having David judge himself, and David doesn't know it. But David said, the man that has done this deserves to die, and moreover he must restore fourfold. And what did Nathan say? Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord. And God imposed a fourfold penalty on David himself. But why in the world would Zacchaeus now be willing to part with so much of his wealth? Giving half of all he had to the poor and paying back those he cheated four times as much as he had taken. What in the world would cause a guy to do that? Well, he had just found the incomparable, incomprehensible spiritual riches in Jesus. And he didn't mind the loss of any material wealth. So he was saved. Jesus said salvation has come to this household today. He was saved. And for the first time in his life, the price tags were all in the right places. Listen, folks, we can have job security and financial security and social security, but if we don't have spiritual security, without spiritual security, there's no peace and there's no point to life. And what a contrast to the rich young ruler. Remember him? Luke chapter 18, the preceding chapter, verses 18 through 30. Both guys extremely rich. Both came face to face with Jesus. To the rich young ruler, Jesus was a good teacher. To Zacchaeus, he was Lord. To the rich young ruler, he went away sorrowful. Zacchaeus went away full of joy. What made the difference? Being saved. Salvation had come to Zacchaeus' household. And it's interesting, Zacchaeus was willing to give all this stuff away, and Jesus never told him to do it. Never told him, at least the scripture doesn't say he told him. Now with the rich young ruler, he did. He said, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. But to Zacchaeus, he never said a word about that. Jesus playing favorites? No. The difference was salvation. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you realize He doesn't have to tell you to do a thing. You'll already do it. You won't have to be reminded to be here for church and to worship. I mean, when Jesus is Lord, all of hell itself can't keep you from worshiping Him. A little bit of rain won't keep you from worshiping Him. A little bit of tiredness won't keep you from worshiping Him. But when he's not Lord, you constantly have to be hammered. You've got to be reminded. You have to be prodded. You've got to have motivation. People have always got to be trying to get you to do stuff. So, I asked this morning, is he Lord? Is Jesus Lord in your life? When he's Lord, everything changes. One author said this, and I quote, we all want to spend eternity with God. We just don't want to spend time with Him. Wow. We stand and stare from a distance satisfied with superficiality. We Facebook more than we seek His face. We text more than we study the text. And our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on our iPhones and iPads. Emphasis on I. Then we wonder why God feels so distant. 
we wonder why we're bored with our faith. It's because we're holding out. We want joy without sacrifice. We want character without suffering. We want success without failure. We want gain without pain. We want a testimony without the test. We want it all without going all out for it. It's not enough to sit in a church service for 60 minutes. Churches are filled with spiritual sightseers who feel like they've done their religious duty by sitting and listening. End of quote. Boy, he makes some good points in that. Now, there's a postscript to this story, which is really the purpose of it all, and that's verse 10. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. When Zacchaeus got saved, Jesus says what? This is why I came. Right here. This man, salvation has come to his household. This is why I came, to seek and to save the lost. That's why I'm here. By the way, that's why New Hope is here. All right? Yeah. Maybe you've been wondering why we're here. We're here for one reason, so people might know Jesus. So people might be saved. That's why we do everything we do. So more people might be saved. That's why we have this 830 worship service. That's why we have another one at 1045. That's why we'll keep doing them as long as we're able to keep doing them. Why? So people can come to know Jesus. That's why we have a children's ministry. That's why we have a youth ministry. That's why we have small groups and Sunday school classes. That's why we have vacation Bible school. That's why we expanded our facilities through a building project. Why? Because we want to help people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's it. And you know what? There's a cost involved in all of that. But who cares? If Jesus is Lord and we give Him our best, we'll never call anything we do for Him a sacrifice. It'll be a joy. Right? And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know what I'm talking about here. Bonnie and I raised two wonderful children, Ryan and Jamie. And when we get to help them or get to give them something, that's a joy. We don't consider that a sacrifice. We've got six grandchildren. You think we consider it a sacrifice to give them something? No, it's a joy. I will never call anything I do for our children or grandchildren a sacrifice. Because it's a joy. Why? You know why. That's what love does. I've been in the ministry for over 40 years. And I've seen some people through the years do something for Christ and then complain about it. Like, woe is me, pity me, pat me on the back, and all this kind of stuff. And they complain about it. Folks, that's not love. When you love Him, serving Him is not an issue. When you love Him, tithing is not an issue. It's a privilege. When you love Him, doing great things for Him that other people would say, you're absolutely out of your mind to be doing that. doesn't matter. I love Jesus. And I need to love Jesus more than I love my children. I need to love Jesus more than I love my grandchildren. I need to love Jesus more than I love my wife, more than I love my family, more than I love this great church. I need to love Jesus more and when you do, you'll be lining up behind Zacchaeus. Now, I don't care how tall you are, you're going to seem awfully short behind Zacchaeus if you don't love like he did. Fully committed. Are you? Are you saved? 
Are you connected to the body of Christ? Are you engaged in living your faith? Are you an active, participating, contributing, serving, fully engaged member of God's church right here at New Hope? And if not, why not? And if not, why not now? We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision this morning. I think there's some good things that we can learn from the life of Zacchaeus. I think he was fully committed to the Lord. And salvation came to him and his household that day. If there are decisions you need to make for Christ today, if there are any public decisions, you can meet me down front as we stand and worship. If there are things you want to talk about later, just get a hold of us. And let's sit down and talk through those things you need to talk through. Let's stand and sing.